Blog Talk Radio. Yo, this is your boy, G-Ski Rocks. And this is going out to the lovely, lovely women of the world. I know sometimes you have to make a hard decision. But I want you to think about this. vacation 
but I am glad to be back in the seat broadcasting about all the stuff that's happened, and there has been a lot that's happened. Yes, who are you telling? We have a we have a new Ebola czar who has no medical experience whatsoever. Go figure. We're the only <laughs> nation in the world left that hasn't banned travel from Liberia. Go figure. But having said that, you know how we open the show. Deuteronomy forty verse nineteen says I record this day against you that I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life so that you and your seed might live. Dear Heavenly Father, in the mighty name of your Son Jesus Christ, we give you glory, honor, and praise. Father God, I thank you for True Life Fridays Radio and the issues that we deal with on a daily basis. Lord, I thank you in the name of Jesus for our host, Letitia, and the two co-hosts, myself and Melissa Palou. But, Father, tonight we're going to address the issues in Ferguson, the Ebola breakout, and every other issue that is on Letitia's heart and that pertains to the pro-life movement. So we ask that those who are listening would be blessed, that they would take the message, and that they would be engaged. We say we love you and we bless you, Lord, and thank you for forgiveness of our sins. In the mighty name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Thomas. Well, so let's get started. We do have a lot of Ebola news uh, that has, uh, has a lot of people unnerved. And I'm getting a little feedback. Are you on speakerphone? Yes, I am. Okay, that's where it's coming from. So, um, just to let you know, you might want to turn the volume down or put yourself on uh, the regular uh, speaker. Not well. Uh, yes, you can mute yourself, but then they can't, we can't talk to each other. Then <gasps> terrible. I'd still hear you. <laughs> All right. Well, oh, let's see. Where do we where do we even begin? Um, okay, so several months ago, Ebola was declared a humanitarian crisis, and we are going to to hear audio, audio of exactly how our leaders are going to deal with this humanitarian crisis. Now, granted, the humanitarian crisis status applies to those countries overseas that are experiencing the the epidemic. We are not experiencing an epidemic here in the United States right now. And so the three countries that are affected, I believe it's Guinea, Sierra Leone, Sierra Leone and Liberia, um, have been declared a place of, places of humanitarian crisis. And yes, it can certainly be seen that way. I would certainly call it a humanitarian crisis over in that country, over in those countries. And I would, therefore, 
I don't know whether it's just me being commonsensical and that's no longer cool anymore. I think, therefore, we should try to do our best as countries of the world, you know, kind of do, keep that from spreading to other countries. Call me crazy. But apparently, as Thomas is That's racist. (laughs) Sorry. I just had to, I had to jump in there with that. You, you know, you sounded exactly like Al Sharpton there. And we're going to hear from him. We we really are. We're going to hear from him because I think he has something to say about that. <laughs> right. But can uh, I jump I, in your middle of your dialogue real quick, just just as you're going on that, because I've been irritated about the fact that the, the, the man who died from Ebola, mm-hmm. he... His family just yesterday or whenever it was came out and said it's racist because the only person that died was black. And somebody pointed out in an article they didn't know Ebola was racist. Go ahead. Take it from there. Well, we, we, it's not racist until we hear it from the authority, you know? Racism, racism, racism. That's right. Racism. Now it's racist. Right. Now it's racist. Not. <laughs> well, you know, the only people that have have died from Ebola are black people. You know, it's... It's it's a it's a disease that is specifically targeting black people, and the cure has not worked on a black person yet. At least that's not what I've heard. <laughs> right. So, um. Of course, the disease is black. Uh, hates black people. And and so yeah, the the faces of politics and the race baiters are all out there. You know, they're not blaming, but the thing is, they're not blaming Ebola for being racist. If I were them, I would be out there marching against Ebola day and night. I mean, I would be throwing rocks and bottles at Ebola. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you have a good point there. We'd be looting stores and stuff because (laughs) Ebola is racist. It's killing black people, unfairly targeting the black community. That's correct, and and you know what? And it's it's going to get worse because if Sheila Jackson Lee has her way with it, she's not going to ban Ebola from the country, from the from people traveling to the United States who might have Ebola, until it reaches an epidemic level. So she says. Wait, 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 wait a minute. I read that and I thought that was a joke yesterday when I read I saw that article and does she not know that epidemic proportions means you have hundreds of thousands of people infected with with a mortality rate at this point of 50% depending on the level a progression of that disease. Yes, and is we that have woman really stupid? The CDC chief himself, in testimony before Congress just yesterday, had admitted about 100 to 150 potentially infected persons 
are slipped through screening every day into the United States. It doesn't mean they have Ebola, but they could have Ebola. And if they did have Ebola, those persons are getting by security screenings, medical screenings, and they're just coming in. And nobody seems to be, nobody on his level anyway, seems to be very bothered by it. And Sheila Jackson Lee doesn't either. She said, I don't think we have, we gain anything by spending our time talking about quarantines of entire countries. We don't have an epidemic here. And for that reason, I don't think that calling for a quarantine of countries answers the question. So we have to reach have to reach epidemic levels here before she thinks it's a concern for travel restrictions. Well, if that's the case, People will be quarantining the United States instead of the other way around. Because exactly. if you reach levels here, ain't nobody going to let anyone leave. Exactly. And that's <laughs> the, you know, you know, you're catching on to the whole vision and their plan. See, what they don't understand, and we're going to get spiritual here for a minute, on True Life Fridays Radio because we talk about true life across the board, even from a spiritual and prophetically biblical point of view. Now, what they're doing, they don't realize that their plot has been laid open. Unfortunately, God will show us when things are wrong, folks. But it's when we refuse to do something about it. And unfortunately, we have a lot of everyday Americans who who are still caught up in the Obama worship, and they have their heads buried in the sand. Mm-hmm. And if we, and I'm going to tell you something, if something goes down, it's not going to be their fault. It's going to be the fault of those believers who were part of the crowd who buried their heads in the sand. Those very ones who called people like myself, Letitia, Melissa, and many others like us, we, we're crazy conspiracy theorists, and we're just sitting back. We're watching everything that's happening and just saying, okay, uh-huh, here it comes. And it's so, not a conspiracy. I don't think it's a conspiracy. I don't know what conspiracy you're referring to, but what I see is the collective forced incompetence. Now, what I mean by forced incompetence is not because they don't know what they're doing. People don't know what they're doing. It's that their commitment. So people like Sheila Jackson Lee, our dear, our dear leader, and uh, his administration are so committed to the politically correct way of thinking, liberalism, right. that right. they will allow people to die for the sake of of their political political ideology. That someone's yep. life is not worth saving if it doesn't advance their political agenda. Right. And that's that's not a conspiracy theory. That's the truth. <laughs> okay, so here's here's where I see. So they're calling this the humanitarian crisis. 
And I agree, but I may not agree with it the same way that the news media is characterizing the Ebola crisis as a humanitarian crisis. I don't think the disease itself is the humanitarian crisis that we can be experiencing here in the United States. I think the crisis is that we have no travel restrictions, which would be the common sense thing to do. We have careless mistakes being made by the CDC. We have a bureaucratic nightmare come to life in this situation where if it were even the homeless person on the street in charge of managing disease control in this country, we'd be doing a better job at it rather than the people who are currently in charge. Because everything that I've learned when I went to school and studied uh, infectious disease and how, and how entities like the CDC ought to manage it, uh, all these protocols are, are kind of, sort of followed. And then the mixed messages that we are getting in the media versus what's really happening do not instill any confidence in the American people. And you can feel it. You can feel people are uneasy. People are not panicking. Nobody's panicking. No one's calling for panic. Actually, I've heard some headlines. I've seen some headlines where we're like, it's time to panic. It's like a scene from Monsters, Inc. Now is the perfect time to panic. Uh, no, I mean, I don't think panic- panicking never solves anything. And you're not, uh, panicking will not prevent Ebola from coming into your house. Uh, but what people want and what people are feeling is the lack of confidence in our administration to handle it. That's what people are going to panic about. They're not going to panic about these disease. People know that Ebola is not easily transmis- transmitted from person to person. I, it's a lot easier than what the CDC is saying. It's a lot, which is a lot easier than what the White House is saying. <laughs> oh, right. can we talk about that. But it is not that easy. And people, I think, understand that. That there's no reason to panic about the disease. We are more concerned and more scared of the administration's incompetence about it than we are about the disease. So, right. um, <laughs> And let me give you a great example. The CDC chief yesterday says that it's okay that we don't have a travel restriction. Why? Because we can track Ebola. As long as we don't restrict travel and we're not quarantining people and we're not limiting their travel, we still have a risk. And so these issues of surveillance and containment I don't understand. And this is the question the American public is asking. Why are we still allowing folks to come over here? And why once they're over here, is there no quarantine? Our fundamental mission is to protect Americans. Right now, we're able to track everyone who comes in. But you're not stopping them from being around other people. Really? Really? We can track Ebola patients coming into this country who have no symptoms? Because I'll tell you, uh, Mr. Duncan, who came from Liberia to the United States, had no symptoms when he got off the plane. He when he got on the plane, he got sick. He felt symptoms at home after he got to Dallas in his apartment. 
our wow. government did not know about him and his Ebola infectiousness until he was on U.S. soil. Did they track him? No, they didn't. So the CDC says uh, we can track Ebola patients, really, as well as we track guns and Fast and Furious? Hmm. I'd say maybe this entire operation should be called Operation Fast and Infectious. Because that's where we're headed. The brilliance and the the uh, skill of the federal government, ladies and gentlemen, is behind this disease. Do you feel confident yet? Uh-huh. So what do you do when you want to manage a disease crisis? Well, today, did President Obama hire a doctor? Did he hire a nurse? Did he even hire Former Surgeon General Joycelyn Elders. No. You hire a lawyer who worked in the cylindra failure. That's how you manage a crisis. Well, in a way, yeah, in a way, this makes perfect sense for this administration. Because never a day in his existence since 2008 has this president's administration picked competent and appropriate people to head up things, anything, name it. I mean, how? why would you pick a communist to run your, your green jobs, czar, office, appointment, whatever you wanted to call it? <laughs> Was it to provide green jobs? Was it to make green jobs in this country? No. Um, so why would you possibly hire a medical professional to manage a disease crisis. He wouldn't. And he didn't. So, uh, that doesn't surprise me. It is another piece of dismaying information from our president's administration. But, hey, you know what? We He's racked up umpteen millions of these type of uh, bad decisions so far. What's another on the pile, hey? But uh, fear not, peoples. The POTUS kissed some Ebola nurses, and he liked it. And we're supposed to gain some confidence from that, uh, that Ebola is cool. Because he's so cool. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, it is time to pray, pray, pray for your own sanity, because our presidential administration has completely gone crazy. And there is no sanity left here. It is very clear, without impugning the motives for why this is so crazy, we are not being protected the way we ought to be by our very own federal government as far as Ebola goes. And uh, whenever you find yourself in that situation, it, is the, it has been the pride of America to say we can take care of ourselves. So, you know, hey, you know what? If you ain't a prepper, you are one now. Uh, so go and fill up those water bottles. You never know when the next one is going to be laced with Ebola. Uh, pray for sanity. Care of yourself. Pray for sanity. Uh, find out what you're going to do. The next time you need to get on a plane. I have a good friend on a plane right now or get about to get on a plane right now passing through the very same airport that Mr. Duncan had been in 
isn't I mean, isn't that comforting to her? I don't know. She's she's probably dressed in a hazmat suit right now of her own. But you know, you got to do what you got to do to take care of yourself. And at the end, you're going to have to because the federal government is not going to come to your rescue. That is a fact bald-faced fact that we all have to understand and know. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you have been dependent on the government to tell you what to do, when to do it, and what you need, and dependent on them to give it to you, I am sorry. Real life calls, and real life is you probably won't be taking care of the way you think you will, and the way that somebody promised. I really don't think that you can uh, depend on the federal government anymore. So without panicking, take care of yourselves, yo. Take care of yourselves. All right, next, we are going to talk about something very interesting, call up a story from we, from weeks and weeks and weeks ago, uh, because it's ongoing. It is the story of former view, former host of The View, Sherry Shepard. Now, the last time we talked about Sherry Shepard, she was expecting, sort of, expecting a baby. Uh, she wasn't going to give birth to a baby. She and her husband had contracted with a surrogate to have a child. Somewhere within that nine-month period when the child was gestating, Sherry Shepard decided she no longer wanted to be with her husband and started uh, initiating a divorce. And so the question became, what about the baby? And the baby that she had claimed to have wanted so badly suddenly was not important to her at all, and she said she wanted to have nothing to do with the child. Well, now that the baby has been born, he is a looks like a very healthy baby boy. And I've seen some pictures online. In fact, the only people running this story is the from the UK, <laughs> of all places. You know, in some ways, the UK has a better handle on on news than any of the news networks in the United States. I mean, our news, our mainstream media is so interested in giving, in 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 giving the the their pet. Well, how should I say this? Their pet issues such good light that they're not going to cover stories that make anybody look bad. So, but the UK, thank goodness, they're from outside of the country and they don't give a darn about how we feel around here. And I thank him for that. Um, so her husband, soon um, to be ex-husband, gave his story, his end of the story, to the Mail Online, and they reprinted it, complete with pictures and his his side of the story. And so I think to balance what has gone on so far, let's hear a little bit from what he has to say. So she, he has says, this all came about after they got married. Uh, she, he said that Sherry Shepard wanted to have a child, but sh- that her body, I mean, she was essentially infertile at this point in her life. And so she wanted to have a child because she didn't want to be an older mother. The, the woman is 47 years old right now, and so uh, time is not on her side if she wants to be, you know, an active young parent with the with the child. So they agreed to have a child get a surrogate. 
and the surrogate would carry the child, and then they would have a baby. They paid the surrogate $30,000 because the surrogate is a a young, single woman with um, with who is not wealthy. Most surrogates aren't. They're not doing this. They're not giving their bodies up to birth a baby because they've got a lot of money and nothing else to do. Most surrogates get into this because they think they're doing something nice for somebody and they really need the money. So um, several months into the the pregnancy for the surrogate, Sherry Shepard and Lamar Sally begin to have some irreconcilable differences. I couldn't tell you what they are. Even Lamar Sally can't tell you what they are because he says he doesn't really know. But for whatever reason, <clears throat> excuse me, Sherry Shepard no longer wanted to be married and then no longer wanted to have a child. And we raised the issue last time we talked about this, that legally the baby belongs to her, I think. All the papers, except the one that says her name will be on the birth certificate, is going to be in her name. Well, it happens to be that that very last document, agreeing that her name was going to be put on the birth certificate of the baby, she never agreed to that for some reason. And then they had a falling out, and she now wants a divorce from her husband and now will not be on the baby's birth certificate. The question is for the lawyers to figure out whether or not she has any financial obligation to the child now that she initiated to have been created and born. She says of her of the issue herself that the child has no biological connection to her, therefore she doesn't have any any responsibility. The baby is biologically the husband's, so it's all on him. So well who goes under who go, whose name will have to be put on the baby's birth certificate as the mom? Who's left? Do you know? Do I know? Yeah, do you know, Tom? Just make a guess, wild guess. You know, it's a very short list. Hmm. <clears throat> zero. No, not zero. <laughs> it's the surrogate. Well, the, the surrogate yeah, that's has that... the sur- Well, it makes sense. It is actually the baby she gave birth to. She is the birth mom. And right. so her name is going to have to be put on the birth certificate. The trouble is, who is responsible, therefore, for the financial support of the child um, when it comes to medical care? Well, the... That, would that be the people who contracted for the baby or the actual birth mother? Oh, no, 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 no. The middlemen don't get involved in that messy little detail. <laughs> Sorry. Oh. And yes, the the father, Lamar Sally, put the child's um put the child on Medicaid in California, it's Medi Cal. 
Well, Nauticaal says, well, you know, the child has a father and a mother. So the mother should really be responsible for his uh, financial, his her, for her end of the financial obligation um, <clears throat> to care for him medically. So this woman that is poor to begin with, whom they paid to have a child for them, Sherry Shepard paid her to have a child for her, is now under the gun of the, of the state of California for the full cost of medical care for the child. Really? This woman didn't get into this business to be stuck with this responsibility. And it shouldn't be so easy, I would think, for Sherry Shepard to wiggle out of her obligation since the whole thing was her idea. Now, here we get into the situation. So let's put away Sherry Shepard, Lamar Sally, the birth mom, everything. Let's put, let's put them to the side for a moment and look at the issue. We have a child who was a product of some woman's desire to be a mom before she was old. We have a woman who is poor who is willing to accept money to use her body to produce a child which she would normally be considered mother of, but not really. But then again, yes. Yes and no, but yes again. And we have a husband. We have a father of a child. Uh, We have a father who has a child with no legal mother. Sort of. Not really. Right. (laughs) We're in this process before some clinic put an egg and a sperm together, did anyone stop to think that this could happen? At what, po- at what point in time did anybody, any of the mentioned parties, any of the aforementioned parties, ever think about what could happen if something went wrong? Well, Letitia, you have to remember that they wasn't thinking about potential circumstances or consequences. They were thinking selfishly. Even the mom who agreed to carry the baby was thinking selfishly because she got paid ten or fifteen thousand dollars, and then thirty. Thirty. Well, in the ultimate um. And the ultimate show of hypocrisy, you know, Sherry Shepard, I, I believe that she feels like since she's a liberal and black, that she can do whatever she wants, whenever she wants, treat whoever, however she wants, and there's not going to be any repercussions. So whether she reaps the consequences of her choices here are on the other side of eternity, mm-hmm. she will. And I hope for her sake on this side of eternity that she will do the right thing when it comes to that child and not be such a selfish, arrogant blowhard. But I digress. Oh, no, you didn't digress at all. And But you skipped a little he- ahead to the story uh, that we do oh. hope eventually that, 
Sherry Shepard's going to come around and own up to her responsibility in this. I don't think that there's a person on earth that would look at the situation and say, oh, yeah, she can walk away. That's okay. Uh -uh. (laughs) Uh-uh. The whole point of having a child through another woman was to have a child. To have a child. And you cannot walk away from that child like you can return a pair of shoes to the store right. and say, suddenly exactly. it doesn't fit into my life anymore. You paid a woman, and, you know, there's no, <laughs> being that this is True Life Fridays Radio and this is a very pro-life issue, let me let me stop and reiterate the points that I we've gone over before on surrogacy. That there is no step along this process, that it wasn't a very, very bad idea. And here's the pro-life ethic on this. Sherry Shepard and any woman who thinks that babies can be made through other women because you want a baby, not because of anything else, but because you want a baby, and have no negative consequences, uh, is, is that is naive at best. It's naive. So first of all, uh, let's just say you are in a, the unfortunate situation where your body can't produce a baby anymore. That does not give you the right to use money and influence to try to acquire a baby in a means other than adoption to manipulate another woman to become pregnant for your sake. Second, okay, the woman who is receiving the $30,000 to become pregnant. Poverty can make people do a lot of desperate things. But desperate things can also be stupid things. <laughs> and just because you're poor doesn't give you the right to be stupid. So this woman decided that she was going to make some money having a baby that uh, will kind of, would be birthed out of her own body but wouldn't be hers. Now nature and natural law says that cannot be the case. If you give birth to a child, that child by nature is yours. And that's why the state of California wants your name on the birth certificate. I know. Right. It sucks. (laughs) Especially because that was not the agreement. But any way you put it, nature, I love this line from from uh, Jurassic Park because it fits the situation. Life, as Dr. Malcolm had said, Ian Malcolm, life will find a way. And more importantly, the life that occupies the government and the bureaucracy of the state of California will find someone to own up to this child, even if it is not what you agreed to, they will find a way. And poor, this poor surrogate mother, I, I don't, I mean, she's got her complicity in this, I don't, but I'm not going to blame her as much as I blame the mother and the, the legal mother and the father of this baby, because I think she was exploited because of her financial need. Your money talks. It doesn't just talk. It screams. 
So she got persuaded to take money, and hopefully everybody wins wins, right? Baby goes to parents. She gets $30,000. It all supposed to work out until it doesn't. So she is complicit and has her her own portion of fault in this. She shouldn't have got into the surrogate business because what did we learn in the Australian Indonesian or Australian Malaysian case where uh, the Australian couple had a, a baby boy with Down syndrome and the mother who was paid to be the surrogate ended up having to take care of the child because they abandoned the baby. They found out the baby was baby gammy. Uh, had Down syndrome and said, we're not down with that. Oh, Down syndrome, not down. So not down. And they took off, leaving a poor woman in Malaysia having to care for a special needs child that she is not genetically tied to. And pretty much they're saying, too bad. Because no effort has been made on their part part care for that baby. Anyway, back to our story. The surrogate... Well, the surrogate in that case had, after that, said, hey, you know what? This surrogacy idea is not such a great idea after all. I don't recommend any woman get into it. Oh, duh. Well, thank you. Thank you for stating the obvious. You have now learned through personal experience what ethics people, ethicists, Christian ethicists, have been saying for quite a while now when it comes to surrogacy, that it's probably better that you don't do that. And this is why. Because in this case, babies can be abandoned more easily, especially when there's no genetic or biological tie. So what Sherry Shepard has done is easier to justify than if the child were biologically attached to her or if she gave birth to the child. Somehow Sherry Shepard can get away with this because she has money, influence, and there is no biological tie and no paperwork demanding that she be the mother, the legal mother of this child. Now, I have to admit that this is kind of a sketchy case where what, what if this ends up in court somewhere with, paterni- with a maternity and all that stuff, which... It's kind of unavoidable. I see the surrogate mother taking Sherry Shepard to court forthwith. And how this is going to all pan out, I have it's hard to say. It really is hard to say. And that's the problem. You get tied in these legal knots when you say people can do things that are not in the best interest of children. And what happened to the argument that government needs to stay out of the bedroom? When you do things like this, surrogacy, as an example, you cannot say the government has, can st- should stay out of your bedroom and then turn around and demand that the government protect your rights when you've freely given them away in a, in a procedure that you shouldn't have gone into in the first place. And the last question that we always end with when we talk about these ethical issues is what about the baby. Yep. Who's going to be this baby's mother? Who is going to... We know what the name has to be on a birth certificate. 
But that's just ink on a piece of paper. Who's going to be this baby's mom? So far, we have two women, and neither of them are willing. One should be have have that that guilt and shame put on her for abandoning her child, and the other one we kind of sympathize for because she that wasn't the deal. But even if it wasn't the deal, she did the labor, the gestating, the gestating, the labor, the delivery, etc., and then finally her name is put on the birth certificate. Right. So, and that becomes somewhat of a legal bind as far as in the near future. But you know what? I'm, I'm, she's going to be fighting hard to get her name off of there. And I don't blame her. And I haven't spoken much about the husband in this because uh, the, the main fight is here with the legality of the mom and the financial responsibility. So what about him? Well, Mr. Sally, uh, there's a big part of this in what you got paid. You got played big. And what I mean by that is that you you got starstruck by a famous person in the media who had a lot of money and promised a lot of things and pressured you into having a child you were nice enough to oblige and stupid enough to agree to the method. Yes, it was stupidity that brought Lamar Sally to today. Now, I hope the man has wised up, but I don't know that he has wised up in the way that he ought to, because he should recognize that having a baby through a third-party provider is not going to be a good idea. Never was, never is not, and never will be. So he has now has a child. The woman's who the birth mother's name is now on the birth certificate. He has no personal relationship with her. And yet they are listed as the mother and the father of this child. Talk about strained relationships. Talk about a family that never was. Wait a minute, Leticia. Leticia, wait a minute. Was it the lady's egg or Sherry Shepard's egg? Not Sherry Shepard's egg. I'm not sure whose egg it was. The story never says, but it was. But the baby is biologically Lamar Sally's baby. So first and foremost, why would he? Because him and Sherry Shepard were married, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. So you know, I'm kind of getting a sense that. Sherry Shepard used him to get what she wanted, and then because if that's usually when when artificial insemination take place, it's the it's an egg from the it's an egg from the mother, mm-hmm. Sherry Shepard, egg from the father, they're inseminated, and then it's implanted. So right. whose egg did she use? I don't know, but it wasn't hers. The story is explicitly that's, okay, that's clear weird. That, that, that Sherry Shepard is unable to have children, period. Which means her eggs are not viable. Oh. Which is why she couldn't have children. 
That's that's why she's. So then, to... there's an unknown element on, in this. Was it the lady's egg? Perhaps. Maybe that's why they paid her thirty thousand dollars. Perhaps. The story doesn't say, and it really. If you want to add a fourth person, let's just say the egg was donated by an anonymous uh, egg donor. Anonymous or not, wow. it doesn't really matter. You're going to add an, a fourth person into this whole mess to creating a child that is getting lost in this entire story. So the moral of the story, why do we talk about this as a pro-life issue? Because I hope, I hope, I hope I have imparted the fact that this story should tie you up in knots. Purpose of this story, I think, in the cosmic sense, you ought to be tied up in knots. This ought to be confusing. This ought to turn your brain upside down. Right. Because it is upside down. You are acting completely normally if you are completely befuddled by what just happened here. Right. If you can't make sense, you can't make heads or tails of this, good for you. Because that's exactly what's happening. And and the pro-life angle in this that I want to drive home is that this baby was not birth was not created or birthed with the best interest of that baby. Right. I agree wholeheartedly. They they had that baby with selfish motives. All parties involved. Absolutely. And and last well, last thing about Lamar Sally, I feel sorry for him. I I do. I stick by saying that he did a very stupid stupid thing by going along with this. He did it out of kindness of his heart. But kindness can also be stupid when you're talking about surrogacy. And I feel for him because he was blindsided. I hope he learned the true lesson that creating a child should never be just because somebody wants a baby, feels like their biological rock clock is running out, seeks a third-party provider, etc., and money changes hands, and treats having a baby like going shopping and buying a product off the rack. We are talking about children. I mean, talk about objectifying someone from before they're even conceived and born. We are fighting against doing that as pro-life people. No human being deserves to be treated like a product. No human being deserves to be treated like they can be bought and sold. Yet that's exactly what happened to this poor baby. I he's cute. I see a picture of him. I want to give him a hug and a kiss because he's so cute. Aww. <laughs> but I feel so sad for him because he is the product of an of everyone, every adult person in their in his life so far, a product of their own selfishness and and lack of moral guidance. And stupidity. Right. Even if they did it because they thought they had good motives for doing that. Right. And I hope this child gets... I hope this child finds 
his true father and mother in Jesus Christ as the only person that will love him for him and not love him as a fulfillment of some adult desire to 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 have a kid. It's okay. You know, okay, somebody's going to say, what's wrong with having a child? What's wrong with wanting to have children? There's nothing wrong with wanting to have children. Thank God we want to have children. That is a perfectly natural, God-given desire. But when you want children and you try to circumvent nature's way to get them, it's no longer about the child anymore. It's about you trying to get something that ends up hurting the child you're going to bring into the world. Right. And that's what pro-life ethics is centered around, centered upon. I'm so tired of hearing people scold pro-lifers, saying we want to cram our morals down other people's throats, or you know, oh, you're so narrow-minded. It's all about this, you know. It's just you got God's given view of sex, and then you just prudes. No, it's not. It's all about making sure we keep the humanity of the next generation intact. Life is not all about wanting things like a baby as if a baby is a thing. That's what the pro-life ethic wants to do. Why we are cramming our morals down people's throats. We're not cramming morals down their throats. For goodness sakes, we're trying to get people to wake up. Wake up to your own selfishness. Wake up to the fact that you cannot do people like that. Have a heart. Have some morals. That's what it is. You don't like the word morals? I'm sorry we don't have another word for that. Right. But you don't do kids like that. This child is going to end up wondering, what on earth was he born for? If I were around to hear him ask that question, I wouldn't know what to say. I, I, I'm scared for the day, for his father, and for who will claim him as his mother, to have to answer that question one day. Anyway, so that that's... Um, I hope I know that this is now over because this is a, it sure is going to court one of these days, and we're gonna follow the story when it does to find out what happens to uh, the the maternity of this poor child. I don't know what's gonna happen. Whatever's gonna happen is not going to be ideal, and someone's going to feel like they've been gypped. But I hope at some point in time they they feel for the child. And uh, they don't don't stop jipping. They stop jipping him. Okay, so let's let's take a short break. We've got we've got a lot of stuff coming up, including the stupidest thing ever. So hang in there. Be right back.
Hi, everybody. You're tuned to True Life Fridays with Letitia Wong and friends. Don't miss out. Today's great episode is brought to you in part by Lifeboat Coffee. 10% of your purchase at LifeboatCoffee.com will go directly to support True Life Fridays. Just remember to name True Life Fridays when you check out on the web. Hi, everybody. I'm John Lillis, founder and president of Lifeboat Coffee, America's pro-life coffee company. We support True Life Fridays, and we hope you will, too. True Life Fridays will be right back. Don't go away. microphone there you are welcome back to true life fridays radio if you'd like to call in and talk to us hosts as lowly host humble host of the true life fridays radio program please dial 760-542-3907 we would love to talk to you if you have any questions about the pro-life position on anything that we talk about in the entire gamut of the show i'd love to hear about it love to hear your question love to talk about it on air so we are back with another wonderful segment of True Life Fridays Radio. We've talked about the Ebola crisis. We've talked about surrogacy, as particularly in the Sherry Shepard case. Let's move closer to my home and talk about what has been happening. This is like an ongoing drama, ongoing drama. And, and it's like everybody, there's a window on St. Louis, particularly Ferguson, that everybody, it seems like everybody has a right, like we're under a dome, it's a glass dome. Everybody's looking at Ferguson like we're kind of some kind of specimen to be observed um, and watching what happens. It's kind of like that uh, there's an episode, if you've ever watched an episode of, what was that called? It's that sci fi show, The Outer Limits. That's what it was. Outer limits where this alien creature, these a colony of alien creatures, they look like giant ants or termites or something, um, kind of get captured by this man, and he puts them in this giant pen in his basement, and they're like semi-intelligent insects, and they like like build a monument to him, and they think he's God, and um. He's he observes them through several like many generations. They have their own little insect society, and they kind of have they discover one one day that he bleeds. You know, you cut the god and 
they never they 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 uh they no longer look at him as God anymore. And uh, so here, I feel like we are under in a great big pen with a glass dome in the eyes of the world, especially the media, just watching what goes on in Ferguson, watching the protests, watching the police shootings, watching everything that goes on, scrutinizing like we're a bunch of insects um, looking out for people's entertainment or whatever. So let's entertain then. I would say in this drama of life that the fat lady is far from getting onto the stage to sing. And the protests keep coming and they keep coming one like a slow drip and making their way into the news in St. Louis. Ah, the latest details, though, do have a very pro-life profile as black protesters accuse white people of blanket racism all over town. Oh, yes. Oh, but you knew that. So the protests now um, are going over to areas in town that are far, far distant from Ferguson. So let me tell you, if you, you don't live in St. Louis, this is how the layout of the land is. There are protests that are going to the so-called white and rich areas of town. They went to, protesters went to a upscale mall that was way, way, way far away from Ferguson and decided to walk up and down the mall shouting, Black Lives Matter, you're a racist, Black Lives Matter, etc. Harassing some of the shoppers that are white, of course. And trying to make a statement. Okay, I'm all for people having the constitutional right to make a statement. I don't even mind that they went to an upscale mall, even though it's private property. And they probably, if they ticked off the customers, they should have been kicked off uh, the property altogether. But I don't have a problem with them being there. I don't even have the problem of them marching up and down wherever they want, telling people that black lives matter. I know that. Black lives do matter. But then they go and they accuse people, white people, random white people, of blanket racism. You're a racist, and you're a racist, and you're a racist, for being white. Racism. 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 That's right. Racism. And if I happened to be there that day, I'm pretty sure I would have been called a racist. Maybe. For associating. Guilt by associating. Uh, with a rich white neighborhood. I think we may be painting with a broad brush now. So the issue has gone from, I want justice for what I think happened to Mike Brown. I think he was murdered in cold blood. Two, you're a racist, you're a racist, you're a racist. I'm sorry, my scriptures teach me and common sense teaches me that, first of all, racism is a very harsh accusation. 
In fact, it's so harsh, I would call it a judgment. And when people call other people racist without even knowing who they are, I'd say they were judging them. Wouldn't you, Thomas? I would, Leticia. That is exactly what that is. Right. And so I go back to my scriptures, and I think to myself, gee, what did Jesus say about judging? Judge not, lest ye be judged. Huh. You know, I think that verse might even be inspired. I think even the most ardent atheist in the world would say that was, if God existed, if God exists, that would be the only inspired verse in the Bible. Wouldn't you say? I would. Hmm. Oh. And yet, and yet, I know. We have people that are going all over town. You know, cause, because uh, the white upscale mall is not the only place they're planning to march at and do demonstrations. They're planning to go to uh, predominantly white neighborhoods, predominantly wealthy neighborhoods, to do the same thing, to talk about how black lives matter and you're a racist. <laughs> and I'm sorry. I mean, I I think that... At some point in time, you'll have to see the ridiculousness of, of this, the ridiculousness of this, um, just accusing people at random of being racist. So we're not supposed to judge, and, and the way that people use that verse, do not judge, is to say, get off my back, yo. Don't you be talking smack about me. They want to use it that way, fine then I would say that all for the in in for the white people that have been victims of this drive by judgment get off their backs, yo. Don't you talk smack about them like that. <laughs> Don't you think it's fair? <laughs> if you can use it for yourself and tell off those who want to say, Hey, I don't think what you're doing is quite right, whatever it is and you say, Don't judge me. You don't know me, don't judge me. Oh, Jerry Springer, then I think the sum total of the white community in St. Louis can beat you back with that. I think that's fair because I like to know that things can be fair. Now, I have probably offended most of the people in St. Louis that are on the side of the protesters because of that. But you know what? I don't really care. Protesters don't even know Mike Brown. At this point, I want to ask Mike who, and at this point also, I think a lot of the protesters are going to ask Mike who. This has gone so far beyond the Mike Brown shooting. And how do I know that? We have had so many people that have been arrested that have zero connection to Ferguson, zero connection to Mike Brown, and in fact, they belong to the Black, New Black Panther Party. They belong to SEIU. They belong to, oh! The Nation the, of Islam. 
That's Right, and who was just arrested, the last person that made the news that was arrested, a very pro-ISIS Muslim. Now, you can't tell me. Oh, yeah. Let me look up his name, because I I hadn't planned on saying his name on air, but i got to look it up now. So you can't tell me that all of these people have a personal interest in seeing Mike Brown's shooter, Officer Darren Wilson, they're not interested in seeing the truth come out about him, whatever it is. They're interested in not letting a tragedy go to waste. Sound familiar to you, Thomas? Yep, yep, yep. But I'm going to tell you something, that ISIS guy better watch out because – you know, there there are a few patriotic St. Louis folks that are looking for an excuse to shoot somebody. <laughs> so, hey. I, you know, you're right. There are, let me tell you, St. Louis is a, it's not quite a melting pot. I would say it's a salad bar. <laughs> and, right. And there are pockets. You want to say there's scary, some scary people in, in St. Louis? There are scary people of all stripes. And if, right. as, as much as people, the liberals, the literal liberal hipsters that are the elites, the elitist liberal hipsters in St. Louis like to call, may think them of themselves um, as the, the true representation of upscale St. Louis artsy types who, who are liberal and know so much. There is a large segment and they look down on those they call rednecks. Right. <laughs> there is a large segment of St. Louis that fits the description, and they fit it proudly. They don't wear that redneck uh, moniker as a as a name, as a negative label. They'll proudly right. show you their pickup truck and their shotgun. And so long right. as you're on that on the front end of that shotgun, they don't care. <laughs> you can call them whatever you want, so long as you're standing on the other side of that shotgun. Because when they have that shotgun, they're in control. And, right. you know, at this point, more power to them, man. Um, but, yes, there was a Muslim that was arrested in Ferguson as of one of his protesters. His name is Umar Lee. He is a an agitator, professional agitator now. He's a he's pro jihad and he's pro violence. He uh he's thrown around names like Daniel Pearl in 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 the midst of his protesting. Yeah, I mean, no no no. The name is Mike Brown, not Daniel Pearl. Daniel Pearl. Oh, okay, okay, all right. Danger, 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 danger. Oh goodness. So, um, there's some sw- several tweets that are out by him. Uh, it says the biggest non-Ferguson project being my continued efforts to raise the money needed to get to Syria and Iraq to cover ISIS and the U.S. bombing. I uh, there's pictures of him 
a sword in his hand. <laughs> and, oh, this was his tweet. I could cut your neck with the sword of Islam and watch you squeal like a bah! like Daniel Pearl. Nice. Nice. Like I said, Mike Brown who? And I'm positive that the mother of Mike Brown isn't associating with this character. So do you get the fact that this these protests are so not about Ferguson anymore? So not about Mike Brown. Right. And I, I'm I would be so in content if the police shut down these protests. If they're pro leftist regressive jihadis that are just agitating for no particular reason that has nothing to do with Ferguson. If they are breaking windows, if they're looting and rioting, and they're doing it uh, as dutiful children of Saul Alinsky, yeah, give them the tear gas. Absolutely. Because they're not there for any injustice. They're there to cause trouble. Anyway, we'll see what happens. Uh, in the next the few next few weeks, because I think uh, the grand jury is supposed to conclude its reporting and uh, sometime in November. And here, here's what's coming next. I promised you I would talk about what's coming next. It is yesterday. Yesterday, a uh, report the the testimony of one of the witnesses, one of the latest witnesses to testify before the grand jury came out and. Um, Mind you, this person is sympathetic to the shooting of Mike Brown, not on the side of Officer Darren Wilson. And what was reported was that Mike Brown did not have his hands up. At no point did he have his hands up in the air higher than waist to shoulder level. The witness reports, let me call this up. Nope, wrong story. Wrong story. Where did I put that? While I find it, uh, the the person who reported that who was testifying said that he or she saw the entire encounter from the chase, not from the point. Uh, well, I, she never mentioned he or she never mentioned um, an altercation at the vehicle, but saw. The saw Officer William, uh, Officer Wilson, tell uh, Dorian Johnson and Mike Brown to get out of the street. To which uh, they replied, "Beep you and mind your own business and all that stuff." The officer starts to drive away. He stops, and it gets a little sketchy there. And then what the witness says after that is that Mike Brown starts to run when there's a gunshot fired somewhere. And I believe that's the one they refer to as having taken place inside the police cruiser. Mike Brown starts to run one direction. Dorian Johnson runs another direction. Then the officer, he says very distinctly, he or she distinctly says the officer tells Mike Brown to stop, stop, stop. Stop, stop. I mean, the, the idea that Dorian Johnson was being put, um, ha- had put into the minds of the public, saying that Mike Brown was gunned down like an animal, is simply not true. 
he was told to stop. Mike Brown did not stop. He supposedly turned around at that point, started advancing toward the officer. And I think what happens next, from what I gather, is that Officer Darren Wilson starts to open fire because Mike Brown keeps walking, keeps running toward him. And after the first couple of shots, Mike Brown starts to go down. Um, And here's where it gets a little sad. The officer keeps firing. And you can call it uh, being in the moment. You could call it being one eye blind because apparently he had been hit in the eye so that he couldn't see out of the other eye. You see out of that one eye. And just the fog of the altercation. Why did he have to shoot him? Why did he have to empty his gun? Because all Officer William Wilson saw was movement. He saw Mike Brown start to fall. But at what point does it register in the human mind that he's falling and not falling and not continuing to advance? So I can understand if if that is what happened, Officer William Wilson continuing to fire. Now you want to blame him for that? Fine. Blame him for that. But you weren't there in the heat of the moment. And I, and I can't blame Mike Brown for falling down. I think this is a very tragic situation that happened. I don't think it was racist in nature at all. But something that happened that was very tragic. Are we going to hang a guy for this? I know some people are going to want to. But here we have the accusation that this all went down because white people are racist against black people. And that's why Mike Brown died. I can't say that. I cannot judge people like that. I don't think it's fair that other people judge people like that, white people like that. And I think it's a very horrible thing to say about black people. Saying all blacks feel like they have they have no recourse other than to break windows, burn stuff, throw rocks, riot in the street, and beat up on white people just to get their point across. But I don't think that most the the vast majority who are not professional agitators and protesters in the making, you know, because they're they're learning their lessons. You know who this picture was was caught uh, taken at one of these protests in preparation for these protests. Lisa Fithian, and if you don't know that name, look her up. Lisa Fithian is a nineteen. 60s professional riot educator. Now, I gave her a very politically correct name, professional sounding name, but that's what she is. She teaches people how to stage revolutionary protests. The goal in the 60s was to overthrow the United States government. Do you think she isn't still in that business? No, of course she is she is. And so she was giving lessons to the new Black Panther Party, to the Nation of Islam, 
to the everybody else that was there, not for Mike Brown, and 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 preparing them how to run run their protests in a white upscale mall, in a white upscale neighborhood, wherever they go. She was here. And so back to what I was saying. Um, you want to accuse white black people of thinking that. Rioting and violence and being get, and being against the police is the way to communicate your grievances. Thomas, tell me, how do you feel if I were to say, oh, I understand. This is the only way you're going to ever get your point across because you're dumb like that. How would I feel? Well, I would feel very insulted by the way absolutely and, and I, in second I tell you stop lumping me into a category like that because I don't think like that and third of exactly. all not all black people have monolithic thought exactly so. I'm going to step out on the limb and, and I know you're my friend and you're not going to get offended because I'm just using this as an example all right why can't I mean if this is the case why that it means what it means is that black the black community cannot communicate other than act, going out in the street and acting like a big pack of wild gorillas <laughs> pounding on things Be- you guys got no words you just got fists you should be offended because that is how the media and how those professional agitators want the black community to act. They don't want you to think. They don't want you to talk. They don't want you to communicate. They just want you to go out there and beat your fists on something. Like a pack of wild gorillas. And I hope people realize it. That offense isn't coming from me. That offense is coming from people like Lisa Fithian who are using the black community for her own aims and trying to get you to agree with her aims. When the black community in America stops agreeing to be used like that, I think we're going to see some change. And guess what? There's good news. Change. There's a glimmer of change on the horizon. Because guess who St. Louis, the black community in St. Louis, is starting to blame for all their trouble? The Democrats? You got it. You and the pride. (laughs) About freaking time. People are starting to wake up that the system that they are complaining about was put in place by... Democrats, and it is held in place by Democrats. And well, sounds, I like William, sounds like William yeah. Lacey Clay might have a problem on his hand. I hope eventually that he does. I hope sooner rather than later, but eventually, you know, at some point in time, he's getting a little long on the years. So, <laughs> I'm thinking, I'm hoping that he's going to retire, take it easy on people. But at some point in time, people are going to realize that he is part of it. 
part of the problem? Yes, he is part of the problem. Right. So. And just like a lot of people, a lot of the in the community in Chicago are starting to figure it out. There's a small scatter of black people in in St. Louis that are starting to figure it out. Our problems right. are caused by the people we voted for. And your the power really is in your hands. Please vote for somebody else. The rest right. of us who are dependent on your votes would love for you to vote for somebody else. All right. So, did Bush lie and people died? People died, but Bush didn't lie. Ooh. So let's examine now the bombshell, pun intended, news report from none other than the New York Times that says WMDs were indeed found in the Second Gulf War. (laughs) Oh, but it's still all Bush's fault. Right. Apparently, I mean... I saw this, and I thought my jaw dropped to the floor, going, oh, my goodness. Doesn't anybody realize what just happened here? And I, yes, I think they did. I think the New York Times knows exactly what they were printing, which is why they were printing it the way they did. And let's let's go into that story and tease it out. Let me call that up. Chemical weapons. Found in Iraq. Now, okay, so here's the here is the title of this article. It's called "The Secret Casualties of Iraq's Abandoned Chemical Weapons." We're supposed now from that title, we are supposed to believe that our soldiers that were fighting in the Second Gulf War in Iraq, Second Iraq War, were harmed and damaged and injured by chemical weapons that Bush never prepared them for. (laughs) And somehow that still squares with the idea that no WMDs were found when the invasion of Iraq was based on WMDs, claims for WMDs. Okay, so... Uh, I'll leave you to resolve that contradiction in your own head, not that it can be, but the entire story was about how our soldiers were finding weapons and munitions. They thought because, no, there are no WMDs in Iraq, right? They were finding all these munitions buried in bunkers, hidden in secret uh, storage facilities, and they were in charge of disposing of them which means setting them off in a safe way. Well, pretty soon after they were setting off a few of these, uh, something told, I mean, it was plainly obvious that none of these munitions were standard. They had a smell to them. They were burning clothes. They caught on fire too easily. They had, uh, and then there were reports that people got strange rashes and all sorts of things like that. Put two and two together. Oh, hey! These are chemical weapons. These are WMDs. WMDs, they were told to deny existed. WMDs, they told, weren't 
there to begin with, and they were suffering from injuries from phantom chemical weapons. So uh, the article then takes a very dim view, saying, oh, my gosh, the Bush administration put our soldiers in harm's way. They didn't tell them about the chemical weapons that were there. Oops. The article then goes to say, well, how old are these weapons? When did they get there? It never quotes anybody. It quotes the article all along about veterans, about their accounts. This is one paragraph where it talks about the source of the the chemical weapons. It says these were 80s and early 90s chemical weapons that were given... They're actually made by the United States. No, they wasn't. Yeah. No, they wasn't. That's what it says, but that's not the case. They created those weapons themselves. They had chemical weapons factories, and the truth of the matter is that that article needed to be the only way that he would have been allowed to write that article is as long as it was written in a way to still make it look like Bush still did wrong. <laughs> of course. We can never depart from that narrative, even though we've just given away the store and admitted everything yep. was wrong. Uh, he admitted that, that the media has been misled and at best and that are, are and lying at worst to the American people for the better part of 12 years. And so the article claims that all those chemical munitions were manufactured before 1991 and gives a little paragraph about how that all supposedly took place. And so I got into this discussion with a friend of mine uh, over Facebook, and he's saying, well, no, no, see, these, this is, these were from a long time ago. These were back from the Reagan years. <laughs> and... And then they buried them. And so I said, oh, okay, I get it. I'm waving my hand in the air, and I say, these are not the WMDs you are looking for. Am I right? Well, yeah, I know. Uh-huh, sure. Ah, so how does that explain the active chemical weapons program that Saddam Hussein had that killed his own people, that he used on his own people? That goes to exactly what you said, Thomas. If these were right. so old, if these were from the U.S. era between the Iraq and Iran war, and I'm not saying he didn't use them, but what did he use them for? He needed to replicate them because, you know, that cash is going to get old if it's not used, and that needs to be it needed to be renewed. What If you're a smart dictator, what are you going to do with all these chemical weapons that are supposedly delivered to, from the United States to you. You're going right. to try to reproduce them. Right. And that's why so many people died in Iraq at his hands. They did not die from U.S. weapons. They died from his experimentation to create new chemical weapons. Right. And that is an indisputable fact. And somehow we're supposed to ignore that ever happened because now we have a huge gap between when that happened 
and when George W. invaded the second time to go look for weapons of mass destruction. And poof, suddenly they're not there. We're supposed to assume because they were, quote-unquote, not there, they never were there. The problem is we have tracks going. We have the clear arrows pointing to Syria. We have the experimentation on his own people. You put those two, two and two together. There is, how likely is it that Saddam Hussein, who possessed chemical weapons, used chemical weapons suddenly and, and stalled UN inspectors from coming into Iraq to inspect their chemical weapons, suddenly didn't have any. It never did. How likely is that? Look, I'm not. I can be fooled by a lot of things, but even I can't be fooled by that. Let me tell you, I am not going to be fooled by the claim that he never had these chemical weapons, even though multiple intelligence reports from several countries in the world said that he did. No, it wasn't just the United States. I mean, we're going, we're treading over old news. This has been established a long time ago. And then every arrow points to using that time where he was stalling UN inspectors from coming into the into Iraq, using that time to get those weapons out of Iraq. And let me ask a second question that we also have asked before. How in the world does Syria use chemical weapons against its own people in the last couple years ago? Syria didn't. It was the rebels. It was the ISIS rebels that that set those um, chemical weapons off. It wasn't Syria. Because, see, here's the thing. Yeah, I stand correct. I said I stand corrected. How, yeah, how it will. Go ahead. Sorry. You know, I just wanted to ask, how do you think those Syrian rebels who have, you know, I mean, they're not, they're not um, employees of chemical plants. How do you think they got those? They didn't make them themselves. <laughs> right. They, first of all, Here's the thing. Let's um let's just tie this let's just bring everything full circle. Please. And let's let's talk about Benghazi for a minute. The reason why we did not intervene in Benghazi to come to the aid of our own um American personnel and the reason why we were told our um men were told to stand down because we were arming the Syrian rebel, specifically the very the very organization, ISIS, that we have problems with, the Obama administration armed them. That's the reason why we're in all this position that we're in now. We knew, Obama knew about the weapons of mass destruction when he was a senator. They all did because it it leaked in the news media and was um, 
it was hurriedly covered up because I remember specifically the story about the 500 canisters of sarin gas in ricin. I remember hearing those things, and I raised an eyebrow because I was like, huh, that's interesting. So, mm-hmm. you know, you to use that narrative that it's Bush fault, people lied, and, you know, he lied and people died. Well, he didn't lie, and people died from exposure to mustard gas and, and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. I said, I love the part in the New York Times article where it says these munitions were largely unusable. Um, they, might have been, <laughs> they might have been unusable in a rocket launcher, but they were not dangerous, and they can still be used to kill a lot of people. Exactly. And it just goes to show that the idiot reporter that wrote that story, not a, not reporter, but columnist that wrote that story doesn't know a darn thing about chemical weapons because some of those chemical weapons have, they stay, uh, <coughs> they stay stable for a long time. <coughs> Sorry. Yeah. Um, well, they're, they're, they, they're maybe, they're still dangerous. Uh, even after a long period of time, because they're dangerous to begin with, they may not have, they might have lost their, their potency over time. Even if they were exposed and they were compromised, it doesn't turn them into water people. It, right. <laughs> it doesn't turn it, it, they don't become sand like the rest of the desert in Iraq. They're still crazy, crazy dangerous. And that's why our soldiers are becoming injured by these non-existent weapons of mass destruction. So, I mean, see the idea that, oh, these are not the weapons you're looking for. Um, They're weapons of mass destruction (laughs) that was not supposed to be there. Right? Right. And they were the they Listen, they are the granddaddy of the weapons of mass destruction that we were looking for. How about that? We knew that Saddam Hussein was creating weapons of mass destruction at some point in time before the Gulf War. That we didn't find the actual bomb covered with, you know, that contained mustard gas, rice, and sarin inside is not a cause to say, oh, he didn't have any at all. We, We got the whole family of chemical weapons in his storehouse. So you cannot say what you didn't find means it wasn't there. And it would be right. very, very stupid to say that, oh, hey, are we just in, it's just a Bush's revenge war. Oh, my God. I war. Don't fight a woman. No war for, no blood for oil. No blood for oil. Give me a break. Right. <laughs> I ain't seen any oil. Right. Okay, right. so uh, do you have anything to add to that? Because we've got a pretty nice, uh, gentle, totally racist, stupidest thing ever today. Well, no, you basically hit the nail on the head, but let me add to your granddaddy of 
weapons of mass destruction. Okay, this is, I want people to think for a minute. If Saddam Hussein did not destroy his weapons of mass destruction from 1981, why do people continue to stupidly think that he destroyed the more modern ones? Yeah. That's a good question. He didn't. He stuck them in mosques. He those weapons were buried under the mosque and uh, in Iraq. They also moved them to Syria. We have the satellites surveillance photos of trucks moving something yeah. to Syria yeah. right before the second Gulf War. So, folks, the weapons are in Why was that never investigated? Why was that never investigated? We saw, we saw the surveillance camp. I mean, I mean, we're talking three seconds worth in twelve years of reporting. Why didn't anybody follow to see where those trucks went and find those trucks? Because you have to remember, after two thousand and six. You had a a democratically held Congress, Senate, and anything that made them out to be liars, they were going to suppress it, and that's what they did. All right, so that that wraps it up for that today. We might revisit this subject if they come out with any more blame bush stories <laughs> on this. Right. Uh, we're going to move on to our stupidest thing ever. You're going to love it. Hey, this is not first class. love to talk about race issues because it's used so often to bash people over the head about how how racist they are, how terrible they are, etc., etc., etc. I decided to dig up this example of the latest racist phrase happening in Australian child care. And I want you to listen to something because it has a lot to do with this story. Apparently, everything you've been singing in, since you were a child is utterly, utterly racist. Baba, black sheep, have you any more? Yes, sir, yes, sir, three bags full. One for the master, one for the dame, and one for the little boy who lives down the lane. What's wrong with the sheep? It's black. (laughs) Apparently, the child care workers in Melbourne, Australia, are changing the song because of racial and sexist connotations in the lyrics. 
The Herald Sun reports staff at child care centers in the southeastern suburb told the Herald Sun the lyric was being changed because of concerns over the racial connotations of black and to reflect a multicultural community. So it's terrible, terrible. We wrote a song back 300 years ago about a black chief because people were so sexist and racist back then. Not that there is such a thing as a black sheep ever. <laughs> it says, racism was not the only reason for the potential change. Sexism is also playing a role. Kindergarten teachers have told the Herald Sun Center in Melbourne East had also considered changing the line, one for the little boy who lives down the lane, in case it could be deemed sexist. I, I just I feel so violated by that song now. It's just dirty. I mean, doesn't don't you feel all dirty? So uh, how are we supposed to sing this song nowadays? I maybe maybe like this. Maybe they want it sung like this. Baba sheep, have you any wool? Yes sir, yes sir, three bags full. One for the master. One for the dame, and one for the little boy who lives down the lane. Ba, 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 sheep, have you any Okay, does that make it better? Okay, so, uh, you know there's a second verse and a third verse. So, we're going to end the show because that is the stupidest thing ever to try to claim sexism and racism in a child song about sheep, for goodness sake. It's not a metaphor for people. uh, There's a second and a third first, and apparently somehow that's not triggering their multicultural love for the song. One is the second verse is about a white sheep, and the third verse is about a gray sheep. And if you want to analogize it to... People, I'm not sure who the gray sheep represents, but be forever sure that black sheep always, always refers to black people. Good night, everybody. What? Papa, white sheep, have you any wool? Yes, sir, yes, sir, three needles full. One to mend a jumper, one to mend a frock. And one for the little girl with holes in her sock. Baba, white sheep, have you any wool? Yes, sir, yes, sir, three beautiful. Live so long with my eyes on me. Too deaf to hear, too blind to see. Hearts on the city streets, but I can hear that you're calling me to.
on the city streets, but I can hear that you're calling me to be the hope, be the light, be the love right now, starting right now.